and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following lesson is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Wednesday evening Bible study. Additional information about the Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. First Peter chapter 2 again. First Peter chapter 2. And as we start, uh, got a little story for you. In the summer of 1805, there was a number of Native American chiefs, so Indian chiefs, and warriors who met in a council in Buffalo Creek, New York. And they were gathered to hear a presentation of the gospel by a Mr. Cram of the Boston Missionary Society. So he had come to witness to them and speak to them, and so he gave it his all. He poured his heart out to them, right? And after the sermon, uh, things were quiet, and... Uh, a chief named Red Jacket stood up. And here's what he said. Brother, we are told that you've been preaching to the white people in this place. These people are our neighbors. We are acquainted with them. We will wait a little while and see what effect your preaching has upon them. We, uh, if we find it does them good, makes them honest, and less disposed to cheat the Native Americans, we will then consider again of what you have said. Isn't that something? Uh... As far as we know, Red Jacket and the other Indians there never did see enough of a difference in those folks to want to convert to Christianity. Of course, that doesn't excuse him for not recognizing his spiritual lostness and turning to Christ. But it is a sad reality that too often non-Christians see the lives professing Christians lead and don't want anything to do with Jesus. And the fill in the blank is because of us, because of us. And I like to let that sink in for a moment. Many people that need Christ uh, don't want to know Him because of us. They don't see Christ in us. They don't hear Christ's words when we speak. They don't see Christ's actions when we act. And there, of course, is a spectrum here, which Peter himself wouldn't deny. But even the mess, best of Christians mess up and need to confess their sin and get God's forgiveness. That had happened to Peter himself, right? Anybody looking on when Peter denied Christ wouldn't have said, man, that's not going to make me bold and happy and all the, uh, you know, singing all the day and stuff like that. So he himself had failed. But their humility amidst their struggle with sin actually can be quite appealing to those the Lord is drawing to himself. None of us likes to be around somebody that acts like they've got it all together, you know. Uh, but we like to be around a genuine, real person who says, I love the Lord. I'm growing in Him. I'm also fighting a doozy of a war with my old sin nature, you know. And so just like there's the old classic cartoon of the good angel and the bad angel and the person in the middle, you know, trying to do the right thing and the good angel saying do it and the bad angel's not, you know. Uh, we have a, a new nature when we turn to Christ, drawing us like a magnet toward the things of God. We have an old nature kind of like a magnet drawing us back towards sin and stuff. And we have to fight there. But on the other end are people who are assumed to be Christians because they go to church or refer to their membership in a church. And so a lot of times true Christians uh, get put uh, among those who really don't know the Lord 
uh, going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger, right? And going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Knowing Jesus makes you a Christian. And church is a place you go to gather with other Christians to grow and to influence others. Um, going uh, in, in between are everything from new Christians still figuring things out to older Christians in a backslidden condition that have gotten stuck somehow. To recap, so far in 1 Peter, Peter's been encouraging Christians facing temporary trials to love Christ and one another and build their identity around God's eternal truths. Today's kind of starts a new section, and he applies the faith to everyday life. So there's your fill-in-the-blank, everyday life. And we're just reading two verses tonight, uh, 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12. And Peter writes, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, Abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. Verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. So, 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, the title of the message is Alien Nation. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these great little verses, Lord. We are in a war against the old fleshly lust that uh, characterized us completely when we were lost. And, but we have a high calling from you. And thank you for the passage that's already told us that we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And Lord, you tell us that as we live in this world, we are ambassadors for Christ, and we are to have our conduct honorable among the Gentiles, Lord. Help us to live for your glory in the midst of our everyday life here and uh, make a difference that you have for us to make. And may the result of that be people that ask us a reason for the hope that's within us, even as Peter later in this book posits people will do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, so tonight I want to talk to you about three challenges for Christians as they interact with non-Christians. The first is there in the first part of verse 11. Don't forget who you are in Christ. So, uh, a beloved there is agape toy. You've heard of the word agape, God's unconditional love. He takes that word, and when it's related to people, beloved is the agape ones, you know, the beloved ones there. And um, it, it, in other translations, it's dear friends. You want to write the word beloved, and you're filling the blank there. And it makes a transition to a new section. Um, as, as he begins a new section, he wants them to remember to always be singing, Jesus loves me. And so, um, you know, I don't know, uh, have you ever heard Kay Arthur teach? She's a great teacher, you know, of ladies uh, from uh, Chattanooga area and actually went to church with my in-laws down there for a good long time. And uh, many times when she's teaching, she'll stop and say, Beloved. She'll call the people she's talking to Beloved. And Peter just liked to stop and say, Man, I love you. You know, the Jesus in me loves the Jesus in you. We're Beloved, right? And uh, I, I love the fact that this rugged old fisherman talked like that as he grew and became a seasoned saint in Christ, he knew he influenced others, and he'd received Christ's love, he'd received Christ's forgiveness, and he wanted to convey Christ's love every chance he got to others as he went. Um, so this is the first of eight times in First and Second Peter that he reminds them of God's love for them. So, you know, there are five chapters in First Peter and three in Second Peter, so if he does it eight times, that means it's an average of once per chapter. He just stops and says, I love you, beloved, you know, you're part of the beloved, I'm part of the beloved. And then he says, as aliens and temporary residents, as sojourners, that's why I put the word alien in there. 
um, temporary residents, pilgrims. Remember John Wayne's a pilgrim, you know. Uh, Peter says, pilgrims, you're pilgrims, you're sojourners, you're an alienation. You live where you live, but if you become a Christian, you really, your citizenship's in another place. Uh, we've got, I guess you could say dual citizenship, but man, I'm looking forward to getting back home, you know, the new real home, the one we're going to, right? Um, so Peter reminds them that Christians are foreigners any way they, they are because their true citizenship is now in heaven. Their true citizenship is in heaven. So this brings us back to you are a holy nation. We saw last time, right? A holy nation, a nation that's set apart within nations. We talked about the word ambassador that Paul uses, that we're ambassadors for Christ. Uh, I guess there'll be a whole bunch of new ambassadors with a new administration, right? And those ambassadors will be expected to reflect the values of the one that sent them there, whether we agree with those values or not. But when we're told that we are ambassadors for Christ, we immediately know what that means, that we are to reflect as we live here, we are to reflect the values of the Jesus administration, right? <laughs> you saw the signs, Jesus 2020, right? Well, in essence, it's Jesus now and always for believers, uh, you know, and when you've been captured by his grace, you just can't get over that, you know. Um, it, it, you know, we just went through a very contentious election. It doesn't look like contentious political things are going to uh, slow up anytime soon. Uh, but it reminds you of a basic question. You know, this weekend there will be the final four. Can you believe Tom Brady is playing in the final four of the football, even though he's got nowhere near the coach team, the quality of team that he had when he was in New England, but he's such a good quarterback, he's there again, right? But when he, when, when there's the Battle of the Bays this weekend, Green Bay versus Tampa Bay, how many teams are going to be on the field? Somebody help me out. Okay, you said two. I saw Wesley mouth it, and David says two. Anybody have an answer? Three. There's three, aren't there? Because David's heard me teach this before. <laughs> you got Green Bay, you got Tampa Bay, and then you've got a third team on the field. You've got a third team, the team of officials, right? And the team of officials, they may call more fouls on one team than the other. They might throw 15 yarders and 5 yarders and 10 yarders around. They might throw somebody, you know, they, the, the calls might be 80% against one and 20% against the others. But we expect them to not be shills for one or the other, do we? We expect them to answer to the commissioner's office. They've been sent there to throw flags when violations happen on both sides. And, um, and, and that's kind of, you know, a little bit of what we are, too, as believers and stuff, right? Oh, there's a flag on the Republican Party. Oh, there's a flag on the Democratic Party, right? We've got something to say based on what the rule book says and the commissioner's office says. And we, we, need, to, we, we need to make sure we've got that, even if we think one side is doing better. I'm sure some of those referees there are going, you know what? I hate that team. I hope that team beats them. I bet they get together in the conferences sometimes and say, I hate that team. I hate everything about them. But, and, and I love that team. I hope they win. But man, if I see you on the other, get out there and, and not call it straight down the middle, then I'm going to be mad at you when we get back to the hotel, the team of officials, right? Okay. So, first Peter helps you understand why non-Christians think we're crazy. We say our greatest love is someone we've not yet seen with our physical eyes, and our true home is somewhere we've never actually been before. You understand why the world thinks we're crazy? You say you love a guy you've never seen, and you say your home is somewhere you've never been. Woo -doo -woo -doo. 
<laughs> but uh, that's the reality. That's faith, right? Uh, we have been convinced by the Holy Spirit's drawing us to the data before us. We turn to Christ. We love, I love him more than I love my wife. I love my life, wife a lot. I see her every day. But Jesus and I are closer. Um, I love my country. Uh, I love the places I've lived. I love Danville. Uh, and uh, I love Jeremiah 29, where Jeremiah wrote to the um, captives in Babylon. Um, Jerusalem was their homeland. And some of the false preachers were saying, it's all going to be all right, and it's all going to be all right real quick. God's going to get us back to Jerusalem. And Jeremiah's like, that's a lie. You're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. You're going to experience one year in Babylon for every seventh year you didn't have the Jubilee year or the, the, the Sabbath year. Uh, and so se that happened 70 different times. 490 years they hadn't done Sabbath, they hadn't practiced like they should, and, and that's connected in there somewhere. But in Jeremiah 29, he writes them a letter and he says, for the next 70 years you're going to be in Babylon. And so what do you do when you're there, when you're longing for your homeland, Jerusalem, but you're in Babylon? Well, he said... Uh, you need to seek the peace of the city, seek the shalom of the city. Uh, build houses, have your good Jewish boy marry a good Jewish girl, you know. Build houses, plant gardens, seek the welfare of the city. When it prospers, you'll prosper. And what he was doing there was he's saying, as you live there in Babylon reflecting Jerusalem's values, do you know that's what happens right before the great promise in Jeremiah 29, 11? I know the plans I have for you, plans to do you good and not harm to give you a future and a hope. No one he was writing to was going to experience that. Their grandchildren were. They were to be faithful, living for God in a place they didn't want to be, a situation they didn't want to be in. And the beneficiaries would be some of their children, some of their grandchildren, some of their great-grandchildren. They were, in essence, faithful in their generation for what God was going to do in years to come. Man, I wish we could wake up um, out of this COVID nightmare and have, <laughs> speak of a revival. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great to have a revival in our day in the churches, an awakening in our land? Um, Raymond Barber, who just celebrated his 70th year in the ministry, I bet these last 20 have been a mystery to him, you know. Uh, I, we saw him talking down in Texas, didn't we? And what did he say, David? Remember that? He was talking about how he had known W.A. Criswell at a pastor's meeting to say the following words. He said, they used to come by the hundreds, now they come by the handfuls, you know. Uh, we take handfuls right now, you know. Um, I remember Mark Groom when I first met him. J.O. Groom was his daddy, the great evangelism professor at Liberty University. And uh, he said, Danny, I think I'm a better preacher than I, than I was in the 80s. I've studied better. I've grown. I'm relying on the Spirit. He says, I, with my limited abilities back in the 80s and being a young preacher, I'd give an altar call and people would flood to the altar. He said, nothing's happened in the last few years. And that's been pretty standard across our churches. You know, very few places of big uh, things happening. Most of the churches that have grown have grown by emptying little churches, you know. Um, and uh, it's a sad reality. Oh, mercy drops around us are fallen, but for the showers we plead, right? You know, and so 
Peter wrote to people that had been together and loved being together and they'd been dispersed. So it's kind of like James. That's why I chose 1 Peter after James. They both wrote to a dispersed crowd of people that had had such an exciting time being together and seeing God move like it happened back in the church in Jerusalem when there were thousands. I mean, they had a mega church on day one, didn't they? They had 3,000 people out of the gate. You know, a couple, a couple weeks later, 2,000 more joined. 5,000 baptisms in a month's time. That's pretty awesome, you know. Uh, that's just the men, we're told. So that when you add in the women and the children, my goodness, you know, maybe 20,000 people around, things happening. But they'd been dispersed around. And Peter wanted them to be faithful and represent Christ where they were. Now, what they didn't know was that God is always working, just like when you put a seed in the ground, the seed's working, even though it's working below the ground before it pops above the ground, right? And God's, you know, faithfulness to God's word is like that, even in a hard time. And uh, God used that persecution, that spreading, to put them out all throughout the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had paved, uh, not paved, but they'd made 50,000 miles worth of roads. Now we get the gospel all kinds of places through the internet. The first explosion of the gospel like that was with the Roman roads that allowed them to get to places that just 200 years before they never would have been able to get to. 50,000 miles worth. And so as they were thrust out from Jerusalem, they took the gospel with them to the cities they went and the places they went. They planted churches in some of the bigger cities that then reached out to the smaller cities and the villages around them, and they flipped the world upside down, you know. And uh, that does happen in places, and it's happening today. But uh, we, you know, the gospel goes around the world. It's gone around the world several times now, and it kind of goes around like a wave. You ever done, seen a stadium do the wave? You ever been part of that? Promise Keepers or even a sporting event? And, and you know it's coming, right? They're up there. They're excited. You're down going, hey, look what's happening over there, you know. And when it gets to your turn, you come up and do the wave. Uh, the 70s and the 80s in America, uh, we had our last awakening, our last revival. Now, people think the last awakening was in the 1900s. I think from 1970 to 85 or so was one of those. I think amazing things happened for the gospel that kept America relevant to the missions of the world, right? You know, so we were up, you know, and now we look and, wow, look, China's up, India's up. Uh, uh, my goodness, we're, we're down, you know, and we hope to get up like this again, right? Our chance of wave again. But Peter reminds them that they're, they're aliens. Uh, they love somebody the world can't see. They're going to get mocked for that. They say their homeland is a place they've never been, and they're going to be mocked for that by those that say, all we can see is what's in front of us, so all we're going to live for is what's in front of us. And we're going, no, that's a poor decision. Based on what? We don't believe what you believe. You know, non-Christians act lost because they act lost. They don't think anything's happening after this life. So, of course, they're trying to squeeze all they can out of this life. They don't respect the authority of God. And so they've set themselves up as their own authority, right? And so much the more as the day draws near, uh, as the time of the Lord draws near. So the first thing was that he wanted them not to forget who they were in Christ in a world that didn't believe what they believed. Secondly, he didn't want them to be known for the wrong things. Verse 11 B, he said, I beg you, uh, I beg you, we, we probably should have talked about that. He says, I beg you. He's imploring them he, down on his knees. Here's the great apostle Peter, the ones the Catholics call the Pope. And he says, no, no, I just love Jesus. And I'm begging you as a fellow believer to, to, to do what you ought to do. He says, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. He doesn't want them to be known for the wrong things. 
Um, uh, you know, I think about uh, there can be a great naiveness about um, the forces around the world that want to do America harm, you know. Uh, of course, my greatest concern is that we need to repent before God because, uh, you know, if we were to list all the problems out there from potential, you know, the economic things of China, the terrorism of the Iranians, potentially the um, Hindu extremists, what they're doing to Christians and others in India, uh, whatever Russia's going to do and those things, we might have put them in a top five somehow. But if we got to number one, I think number one would be our greatest problem in America is God is our enemy right now because we've defied him. We're shaking our fist in him. We're saying things are okay that aren't okay, et cetera. And until you know, we repent, then we can expect God's judgment, not his blessing, no matter how well we sing God bless America and at ball games, et cetera, you know. Um, so, you know, we're worried about these external threats, and I'm worried with a change of administrations that they won't be, that they'll be naive to the threat of something like Iran, you know, uh, and the terrorist-funded things that happen out there. Um, but too many American Christians seem to be in denial that around them are fleshly desires that war against us. Our lax commitment to holiness may be creating sleeper cells within us that will one day discredit our faith. And so here Peter is calling us to wartime footing against the sins in our lives. During times of peace, you just aren't as vigilant, are you? Uh, during a time of war, you know, okay, uh, man, in World War II, we knew where the enemy was over there. We also knew, man, some Japanese troops, I mean, the boats, U-boats right out there. We need, to, we need to watch. We need to make sure none of them land and try to take over a city or something like that. They were doing it on both coasts, weren't they? Uh, you know, and there was a vigilance there uh, on the, when we were over there and over here too. And, um, but note, Peter doesn't call us to battle people around us. He first calls us to battle sin within us, right? He, he, what does he call for? <laughs> a war, right? Um, he says, uh, uh, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Um, I like what D.L. Moody said. I have more trouble with D.L. Moody than with any man I know. <laughs> and I can say that for Danny Campbell, you know, the, the number one person I'm concerned about, uh, you know, getting where he needs to be uh, and then staying there, you know, and staying there some more is Danny Campbell. Uh, did you ever hear what G.K. Chesterton did? You know who J.K. Chesterton was? He was a great British Catholic, probably a born-again Catholic, uh, from around 1900 or so. And one of the great London papers was all set to solve all the problems in the world, you know. And so they invited uh, different dignitaries, great men, great women, probably just great men back then, but that's the way that it was. Um, and they said, uh, please write in and tell us what you think the greatest problem in the world is. Well, what would you write if you got a chance to do that? Um, G.K. Chesterton just wrote back four words. You asked, dear sirs, I am. <laughs> What's the greatest problem in the world? G.K. Chesterton, I am. You know, And he was talking about that war that we have in the flesh to do the right thing, to be God's people instead of sinful people. Ephesians 6 adds that our battle is against the spiritual powers that are behind physical realities. And that's why the last section called us to be people of prayer. And uh, I hope that you're as committed as you've ever been to prayer. One of the great things about this pandemic time is uh, people are testifying like crazy that they've, they got sick of watching all you could watch on TV and the, you know, the Netflix and this and that. And they said, huh, 
The preacher always says, pray and study your Bible, and they started praying and studying their Bible. And even though a lot of Christians are in the brambles right now, that we need to help get out on the other side of this, and even right there in the midst of it, uh, a number of God's people have heeded the call to spend more time in prayer. Some people have gone from praying inconsistently to praying at least five minutes a day. If you haven't done that, get there. Some have moved it up to 10 or 15 or 30 minutes. Some are able to keep watch for an hour like the Lord uh, wanted His disciples to do with Him there. You know, and, uh, and, and so this has been a great time and it still is to do that. Before everybody gets the vaccine or uh, life returns to normalcy and stuff, we should have some of these basic things down so that we can really go forward from there. Um, when someone or something is at war against you, you better know it and be ready. The word for abstain literally means to hold yourself away from fleshly lusts. Oh, here comes one. No, thank you. You know, I don't know uh, if you have ever been propositioned in life. Uh, you know, uh, some some people might say, you know, years ago and uh, not in many years, you know, but uh, some a few times as a younger pastor, you know, going around ministering, things like that. Someone laid a proposition on me and I had to go, oh, no, flee youthful lust. Let me get out of here, you know. <laughs> um, so I remember being a soccer coach and giving a kid a ride home from the practice and uh, it was the Waynesboro Public School and I was the coach, gave him a ride home and it was a part of town I hadn't usually been in and man there's a prostitute uh, right there propositioning me as I'm dropping the kid off and I'm like roll that window up and get out of here you know uh, and that sort of thing. He says hold yourself away from fleshly lusts. 1 Peter 5, turn from 1 Peter 2 to 1 Peter 5 um, that we'll get back to at some point in the future. But look at how great 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 is. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Um, verse 10, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you, to Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, goodness. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, we, um, our Satan hates our guts, and his demons hate our guts, and they are mobilized to do us harm, uh, seeking whom they may devour. We don't want to give them a foothold. We don't want to give them a stronghold. We want to hold them like this. We want to flee uh, those lusts. It's important to use the word war, not battle. A war contains lots of big and little battles. So don't give up when you've lost a battle. That's why we've got 1 John 1, 9 there. And I love how 1 John 1, 9 that says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love how just after that, he starts out chapter 2 of 1 John. And he says, hey, I'm writing these things to you so that you won't sin. The goal for every one of us here is not to sin. But if anyone does, when anyone does, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. The word advocate there is the word paraclete, uh, the one who comes alongside of us. It's used of Jesus in 1 John. It's used of the Holy Spirit in John's gospel. Jesus said, I'm going to send you the paraclete. He's going to come alongside you. He'll be inside you and with you as you face these things. A war contains lots of big and little battles. Don't give up when you've lost a battle. Learn from it as you get ready to engage in the next battle. I mean, we lost some battles in World War II that were terrible to lose, but we won the war, right? We won the war. Um, Jesus won the war, but the enemy is still using live ammunition. Have I ever told you about my grandfather? Uh, we called him Palm Daddy. 
um, granddaddy was my dad's dad. He was the one that was a teamster. Man, tough man, probably was knocking heads in in the 20s and 30s, you know, in Richmond as he organized people. He didn't like the scabs and stuff, you know. Uh, and um, at one time he was in a card game and uh, there were eight men in the room. Jimmy Hoffa was one of them, you know. Uh, two other future presidents of the Teamsters were in that room. My granddaddy was in the room. Man, he was tough. He used to shake my hand and have this big old ring. He cracked my knuckle. Anybody ever done that to you? I hated shaking his hand, you know. He's, a, he's mean too. But anyway, I loved him. We loved him dearly. That's what you do with family. But in World War II, he had been stationed in, I believe it was Okinawa. And it's when we dropped the bombs and the war ended. Well, when that happened, granddaddy was already on a plane going over to China. And he still had to land with the other troops and he still had to fight the Japanese there. Those jokers didn't know that the war was over. They still needed to be defeated because they were messing up the people of China, right? And so my granddad was one of those that did that. Real bullets were coming back at him. Hey, the war had been won, but the battle was real, right? Jesus has whooped Satan. At any time, he could come back and set Satan out the way somebody who owns a, a, a trailer park, you know, at, can come and set the family out that's messing up the one trailer, right? Jesus, that's what the keys mean. That's what the uh, seals mean. And he's able to open the seals. He has the title deed to the earth. And at any time, he can come and set Satan out because Satan ain't the real owner here, right? He's just the one messing things up. He's the one playing the music too loud, messing the thing up and stuff. Jesus can come back and do that. Until he does, there's going to be some very real problems, you know, that we're engaged in spiritual war. First, we want to make sure we're winning the war with ourselves so we can help others as well. Like when you're on an airplane, you know, your own mask first and then help those around you. We want to win the battle against sin. So don't be known for the wrong things. And the wrong things is when we get caught up in sin ourselves. Again, back to a couple weeks ago, Ravi Zacharias, you know, so many great writings. And right now, you just don't even feel like looking at one of them because he didn't finish well. He was involved in sexual sin of some kind. More is going to come out on that. And it's just such a shame, you know, uh, because here's a guy that had given us so many good things to talk to non-believers about to help them come to Christ. And they're all laughing at him now and they're laughing at us because he was known for the wrong things. He didn't abstain from the fleshly lusts. And hey, we all got to fight. We all got to fight. Well, three, he wants them to be known for the right things. You could probably figure that out before we got there. Verse 12, he says, Conduct honorably, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak evil against you as evildoers. Isn't it something that non-Christians look and say our Christian convictions, increasingly they say we're evil for holding those convictions. <laughs> I remember during the uh, election time, during the Democratic primary, uh, Pete Buttigieg, and pr pray for him to be saved and stuff, but he said, I'm a Christian in good standing, I'm a gay Christian, and this is the type of Christianity that's the right kind. Those who believe that me and my partner are in a sin, that's the wrong kind. And it's like, you don't have scripture on your side to say that. But he and those folks are saying we're the evildoers for describing what the scripture says. And increasingly that's going to be the way it is as from the outside pressure in. And even in Virginia this past spring, they, they put uh, legislation in place that it would be considered a form of hate to sell somebody that they could turn from a sin like homosexuality.
that that's not who they were created to be, you know. Um, and they passed uh, some of the bathroom type legislation, you know. Uh, you want to identify as the other sex and go use a bathroom, then it would be hate to tell you you can't do that. And um, that's going even further from what I understand this legislative session in Virginia. Um, and that's very sad because they turn around and say, you're the evildoer. It's like, no, 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 we're not evil. No, we love the Lord. We love people. And, you know, but that's, he says, so they're going to call you evildoers, but have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Um, so here, Gentiles is not a racial thing, but a synonym for non-Christians. Lost people are looking for reasons to continue to reject the gospel. Don't be that reason, right? Be the reason they consider the gospel. Um, and this is easier said than done, but people know what love looks like, you know. Uh, and and uh, those who you influence, uh, if the love is there and they know that, they will hear you a little bit talk about things and then just think you're still crazy. But some of them will be saved. Peter is going to get to the explicit call to witness to the lost with their lips. Before that, he calls here for us to witness with our lives and deeds. So what we want to do is we want to win an opportunity to share the gospel. Um, and that's what things like, um, you know, I think of precious ministries like Magnolia House, you know, uh, that take in these women that have had some difficult situations happen. And they usually take them and their kids in. And they're meeting their needs. They're helping get a plan for recovery if there needs to be a recovery from something. Um, you know, and, and, and it's, just, it's just one big act of love and care and consideration. And a lot of those women then consider the gospel. Same things hap thing happens at a good um, ministry. Uh, historically, that's what the Salvation Army did, right? You know, I mean, think about how they met needs, earning the right to talk about Christ. And we want to do that as well. And so I think the Tabernacle's got lots of different ways we do that. Uh, you know, we have a pretty good reputation in the community for being willing to meet needs. Um, more than once, a member will call in and say somebody in our family or a, or a neighbor had a fire or something. Uh, can we help? And it's like, oh, yeah, we'll help, you know, and we do. Um, and so adorning with good deeds so that we get the opportunity to share with our lips the saving news of Jesus, uh, which is awesome. Now, we've already seen that Peter loved variations of this word honor. The Greek word carries with it the idea of beauty, graciousness, winsomeness, goodness, nobility, and excellence. I was lost as a white goose in a snowstorm when I was a senior in high school. But I saw all these traits in a fellow senior in high school named Doug Barr. Um, he he uh, was gracious. He was winsome. He was a hoot. There, there was a spark of goodness inside him, nobility, excellence. Uh, he, um, he, he, I liked Doug before I liked Jesus. And as someone who didn't have a lot of true friends, my friends were based on doing bad stuff together, you know, we're playing soccer together, those things. To have somebody that seemed generally interested in me without something I could do for them was new to me, you know, and it was very attractive. It was very much a draw to uh, when he tricked me into going to church and I heard the gospel and was saved, you know, because uh, I wanted what he had uh, and I got it. You know, I got him, right? Um, he says, so that in the case when they speak against you as those who do evil. Now think about who Peter was writing to, the early church. Think of those first 300 years, all the 
junk the pagan world talked about the early church. And we're in a time of barbarianism again now, heathenism again now, where we're going to be called evildoers for doing what our Bible says, you know. But uh, early churches were falsely accused of terrorism. Nero had burned Rome to cover up his own indiscretions, right? He said the Christians did it. He said the Christians did it. Um, they were accused of atheism. Wait, I thought Christianity by definition means loving God. Well, the way Rome thought, Rome had many gods, and they said that Christians are atheists because they didn't worship Rome's gods. And people can't understand why some stuff is a big deal to us that's not a big deal to them, you know. Um, they were called unpatriotic because they wouldn't call the mad leader Caesar Lord. They had coins that said Caesar is Lord. Uh, there were 10 waves of persecution in the first 300 years of the church after Christ. 10 waves of persecution. And during most of those persecutions, something like this would happen. They did a patriotism test. And they'd say, okay, uh, it's been, we're, we're told that you meet with those uh, Christians there. Uh, we can clear this whole thing up if you'll just light that candle in front of you that's got the incense on it. And as you do that, as you pinch that there, if you'll just say, if you'll say Caesar is Lord, we'll be okay. And Wesley would say, I love my wife and children and grandchildren. I don't want to miss out on seeing them. But Jesus is Lord. And they'd say, you come with us, Wesley. You come with us. And a lot of our early brothers and sisters in Christ died for that very reason. I, can't, I almost can't do it without crying. I'm going to try to get, say it without crying. I read uh, last week about a dear sister in North Korea. She's in a prison in North Korea. And if she would just renounce Jesus, she could get out of there. And every day they try to make her do that. Every day they send her back to her cell. Horrible conditions. Horrible conditions. And if she would just renounce her faith, she'd be able to get out of there. And she says, I can't do that. I love Jesus. He saved my soul. Say, so you can't see him. No, but I love him. You're alone. I'm not alone. There's other people around the world that love the Lord. They're in heaven too. Well, <laughs> one less meal for you this week. You know, a little bit harder work for you this week. Um, maybe one of us will rough you up again this week and other things. Um, unpatriotic. Cannibalism. <laughs> Why do you think they were accused of cannibalism? This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. As pagans around Christians heard them use that language, they thought the Lord's Supper meant that they were somehow eating somebody's body you know, um, and drinking blood or something like that. So just the misunderstandings because they weren't known. Um, they were accused of immorality. Why immorality? Because they always talked about beloved and love one another, you know, and that sort of thing. Love one another, love your neighbor, what, you know? Uh, and of course, uh, people were misunderstanding. They were accused of damaging trade and social progress and leaving, leading slaves to inter insurrection because of the value they put on every life. Uh, Acts 16 and 19, you know, there was riots in Ephesus. Uh, as so many people got saved in Ephesus, they didn't buy the Diana idols anymore. <laughs> and, and they wouldn't buy the Diana idols. And so the people that, the silversmiths that, and the craftsmen that crafted the Diana idols, these guys are ruining business because the people they witnessed here are getting saved and they're not getting these idols anymore that we fashion and sell, you know, all those things. False accusations got hurled at Christians around the world today. 
in America, we as Christians, conservative Bible-believing Christians, are accused of being anti-science, anti-progress, intolerant, homophobic, even wanting to jail those who have had abortions, although I don't know anybody that's ever said that or believes that, but that's what we get accused of, you know. We want people to choose life, but we don't want anybody to go to jail, you know. Uh, you know. So he says, they're going to speak evil against you as those who do evil, um, but make sure that they see you so committed to blessing your city, to loving other people, to meeting urgent needs within the church, but beyond it as well as you can. They may, look what he says, by observing your good works, when they see your good works, that they uh, may glorify God in the day of visitation. When God shows up, some of them will have turned to Christ because of the good things you did that made the gospel attractive and then your lips led them to Christ. So how do you answer false charges? Some Christians give up. They reframe, reframe their faith to accommodate culture. Uh, I hate to say it, but I, I honestly think if you were to look around, even in Danville, if you were to look at everything that calls itself church across denominations, I think we're already, we're over half of the churches in our city, in our state, in our country, would the, the leaders really have stopped believing that uh, sexual sin is sin that needs to be repented of. Um, and uh, really not much is left as sin anymore, you know. So uh, even in conservative churches, there's a reluctance to call people to repentance and instead a desire to just say, well, God's for you, you know, like Joel Osteen does and draws a big crowd. You know, God's for you, God's for you, never calling people to repentance from their sins. Um, when we fought the casino, we saw how few church leaders were willing to go on record saying that it's a bad idea, and it's a horrible idea. Just the fact that the citizens 15 miles within Danville will have to lose $200 million a year for the city to get its cut shows how many problems are going to be created. And one of the ways we're going to have to be ministering is to people that have lost everything down there and how it preys on the most vulnerable. Um, some Christians have given up, reframed their faith to accommodate culture. They never want to be known as against, so they're always what they're for. But, you know, what they're for, uh, you know, hey... Uh, um, oftentimes is the same kind of wishy-washy tolerance that the world speaks of and stuff like that. They reject God's word to be accepted by people, and the Bible calls that idolatry. But Peter called believers to keep doing what Christ said to do, to do what makes the church a unique lighthouse in the dark world. Uh, Matthew 5.16, anybody got it memorized? Jesus said, Let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and do what? Give glory to the God in heaven. That's what we want people to do. Uh, this day of visitation. Peter probably had a dual meaning in mind by referring to a day of visitation. Lost people who get saved when God visits them will testify differently about the impact believers had on them. Lost people who don't get saved will admit they were wrong at the day of judgment. And so, hey, Christ's return to set Satan out to be, you know, he's going to, Rapture the church, the tribulation's going to begin. During the time of the tribulation, um, God will begin the judgment of the satanic world system. He will regather Israel for his kingdom purposes, millennial purposes. 
and the gospel will get out one more time, many last times, you know, to the entire world for people to respond to Christ. Then he will return, and the Bible says he will set up his reign on earth. So these things overshadow, these things loom over the world, you know, as something that we've all got to face. Everybody's going to face the day of judgment, you know. And on that day of judgment to come, uh, we want people to have turned to Christ because they saw in us and our actions something that helped draw them to Christ, both as individuals and corporately too. And hopefully that happens when we do the Good News Clubs, you know. Hopefully that happens when we do our mission trips. Hopefully that happens as we do our jobs uh, and when we are part of our retirement venues. Um, and uh, for those that hear the same invitation to come to Christ and reject it, the day of visitation will look like something else. But Philippians says, every knee is going to bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and all will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. Isn't that scary? What that means is, we know the people in heaven will be praising God, but according to Philippians 2, there will be nobody that's in hell that won't know who Jesus is, but it will be too late to do anything about it because in their lifetime, they shook their fist at heaven. Um, whew. Peter says, I beg you, I beg you, first fight the battle against the sins that could ruin your testimony and make people mock the God you want to bring people to. I beg you to... Um, to be known not for those wrong things, but instead to be known for the right things. Uh, loving others in Jesus' name, meeting urgent needs, speaking the truth in love, sharing that anybody can be forgiven of sin if they turn to Christ. Don't be known for the wrong things. I beg you to be known for the right things. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about The Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Tabernacle Today.